Hello, welcome to a new episode of Republic City Dispatch. Dave, are you as tired as I am? I'm very tired, Matt. Um, we, Dave and I, Devinder is not with us because he did not go to where we went, which was San Diego Comic-Con. Um, a, a devastating, enlightening experience. It's overjoy. it's a joyous uh, mecca of geekdom, but it's also extremely exhausting. I think Dave would agree that uh, we worked our butts off covering Comic Con this year. It was it was a lot of work. It was uh, one of the more difficult jobs I've had to do, but I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, and as both of us have covered, we covered the Cora panel this year. We decided to whip up a new episode of the podcast to discuss kind of what we saw, our thoughts on the panel, and uh, just Comic-Con as a whole. So, Dave, I throw it to you right off the bat. What This was your first San Diego Comic-Con, my second. And uh, what, what is Comic-Con actually like? Because I think people see it from afar. They read the coverage. They maybe see some panels. Nickelodeon has put the whole Legend of Korra panel online, so maybe you've checked it out. But um, what, what is it actually like being there? Well, I would say, like, take your largest event center in your local metropolis and fill it with lots of people that are there to support TV shows they love and get some free posters from movies they like (laughs) and occasionally, actually very often, uh, to purchase uh, comic books or movies or, in my case, T-shirts of Miles Morales, the new Spider-Man and um, uh, sort of sometimes uh, interact with each other in like a comic, um, not not a comic sort of way, but in a Comic-Con unique way of uh, being able to cosplay to the nines and walk around and feel adoration instead of sort of being side looked at. And it kind of spreads into the uh, surrounding San Diego area a little bit, a few blocks deep. So you can kind of wander around and have interesting sci-fi related or fantasy related or in our case core related conversations with people also made it tried to find all the spider-men and if you want to uh, go to cinemablend.com and look at some of the pictures i took i uh found a pabu guys and i Aww. i stopped uh cora and uh pabu uh they were eating subway sandwiches and i <laughs> um, made them put the sandwich down so i could take a picture that's not canon though uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, so my coverage is on Hollywood.com. I wrote about the Quora panels. Check that out. Um, I also think that it's important to note that you have to amplify your local convention center into, like, an eight-mile-long uh, monstrosity. This building is gigantic, and it's right in the heart of San Diego. And you're right. It's like... It's not just that center. It kind of pervades into the surrounding area, and it's a real safe haven for geekdom. Uh, it, everyone's just on the same wavelength, having a good time. And yes, I saw a ton of Korra cosplayers, lots of Koras, lots of Asamis. I saw an amazing uh, Bay Fong, which I think uh, Brian has been posting on his Tumblr, and uh, an amazing Amon, who these two guys took this picture of them being blood-bended by Amon, where they're jumping in the air. I think yes. Nickelodeon has shared that all over the place. It's quite extraordinary. So the uh, Legend of Korra cosplayers were out in full this year, and uh, I was I was excited to see that, because it's, it's obviously made an impact on people, and the, the fandom is strong there. Um, so you and I both went to this Legend of Korra panel, which is, you know, like a rock concert. I don't know if you can get the vibe from just watching the YouTube video of it. It's really something extraordinary just to be in a room full of 
people who love what you're about to see and that goes about crazy five, for these about guys. About 5,000 people, I think. Oh, yeah, what, tons. Ballroom 20 holds. Yeah, Ballroom 20, which is like the second biggest room at the convention center. And uh, it was an absolute rock concert. So David Faustino and Janet Varney, PJ Byrne, they were all there. Uh, Thank Seychelles, you for pronouncing Gabriel. those first. No problem, no problem. And uh, they all came out and it was, uh, people went gangbusters. And they did something pretty amazing, I thought. Um, they did a. They kicked it off with a live read, which you may have seen online, uh, conducted by Andrea Romano, who does the the voice direction on the show. And I was really kind of blown away by it. I didn't really know what to expect. It seemed kind of maybe like filler to me, but they really put on a great show. It was it was Cora live, and it was really amazing to see these actors who are real actors. They take it seriously, and um, it was great performing. What I was uh, surprised to see is that when these moments had more time to breathe because they didn't have to fit into a distinct episode's amount of time, uh, how much nuance that uh, these voice actors were able to contribute to the characters that... I mean, they readed scenes from this book, so we knew how they actually played, but seeing them played with more time, I think, gave a lot of the uh, romantic stuff an angle that I said the show was lacking so now i know um the potential is there not to be that critical of it well i think it's not so much its fault i made this comment during the panel and actually i was i was happy to see both david and janet like tweet at me which was uh that tickled my fancy but I, i mentioned that the two of them have real chemistry in person which i was surprised to see and which i don't think is present in uh it's not present often in voice acting. Um, you get people in a booth, you record everyone separately, you kind of go through the motions, and you get it done. Um, but I think that's what separates Andrea Romano from the rest of the voice directors working in Hollywood. She finds she helps find these people. They are they work together in person, and they can make it great. And these two have actual chemistry. I agree. It kind of made me a retroactive Makoro believer just because <laughs> at first I was like, let it, let, it, let it play out how it wants to. If Maka wants to end up with Asami, whatever, who cares? Bolin, Korra, whatever. But actually seeing you know the dynamic of it was, like I said, nice. Makes all the difference in the world. And I was mentioning to you before we started that um, I thought that compared to everything I went to over the course of four days, uh, which can be quite nightmarish, there's a lot of standing in lines. I think people camped overnight for the Legend of Korra panel, um, including some of the stuff before and after it. That's another thing at Comic-Con that you don't realize is that people are – they don't – unload the rooms every time so people were in line for community and people were in line for uh the firefly 10th anniversary panel and it's demanding people are trying to get in it's cutthroat uh and yeah it's a it's a cutthroat atmosphere at comic-con and but they put on a really good show in comparison to some of the other panels i see which kind of flake out people just show up they have the talent there and they say hey we do a great job don't we we don't really have anything to say goodbye i was uh i was at the being human panel um which is going into its third season and they showed a trailer that had little seconds cut long of footage, and they came out, and one of the first things they said is, I hope you don't want to know anything about season three, because we can't tell you. <laughs> it's so obnoxious. Like, this is great. Well, it, it got me thinking about our own podcast and how seriously we take Cora, and I think that we can only do that because Brian and Michael and Joaquim and 
uh, Juan, Rayu, uh, all take it really, really, really seriously, and they know that we do, so they put on a show where they can talk about technical stuff. They can talk about concept art and animatics and designs and their inspirations and really get into it in a big way, which I don't see very often at Comic-Con. There's not a real discussion going on there. It was a lot of presentation, but as a general animation fan, it was basically taking us through all the things piece by piece that it takes to make an episode on like a of subconscious level. So we did the voice acting and then we did, you know, the concept art and then we did the animatics from season two. And it was very cool to have that like sort of uh, laying out of the process also be something that's uh, giving us teasers of what to expect from book two. Yeah, so I, I think we're both big thumbs up on at least the enjoyment entertainment factor on the Legend of Korra panel. So Dave, why don't we jump in and talk about what we actually saw at this panel uh, after the live read, which was kind of a rehash. It actually, it was nice because it kind of caught me up and reminded me of all these great things we saw in the first book. Um, and But then, of course, we capped it off with this big tease for book two. A lot of reveals. Um, start us off, Dave. What What struck your fancy here? Well, I think they started off with uh, confirming that there will be a total run of 52 episodes for uh, Korra. So that means books three and four. Which is pretty extraordinary. Like I, I was certainly not expecting that news I, to kind of break that week. It was it was very, very interesting. And then, you know, my initial thought was like, what are they going to be called? But, you know, we'll cross that bridge. I'm happy there's <laughs> going to be so many episodes. Um, and or, then they um, talked about book two and they said that the title was going to be Spirits. And I did a little happy dance. Well, not really. I was transcribing madly and live blogging. But in my in your head, in my head, I did a happy dance because that's um, great. It means that all the things that we thought were unanswered will have the potential to be explored very directly. We kind of, we of, kind of called that. I'm not going to lie. I think we called we, a lot of things. <laughs> You're going to, I mean, I, I'm not going to be all told you about it because it's a sort of a mass reading of the fandom that sure. has participated to get us to this point. But I like it when stories um, are capable of not telling you exactly where they're going, but real. Um, the things that are left unanswered are left unanswered for a reason, and they acknowledge that, and it's because that's where the next the story's going. It, it makes it feel very nice, and I suppose I should have suspected that was the case when uh, the boat blew up in the finale, and I was like, oh, okay, those characters are done then. Um, that, uh, you know, they had their story very knit together, and this is bigger, so all yeah. the desires I had of, like, well, what are they going to do? Um, definitely, overall, looks bigger. But I guess we started with the uh, the concept art um, and stuff from the Southern Modern Tribe, where they, I guess they're having like some sort of party. Uh, <laughs> they're having a festival of lights. They're, they're having a festival of lights. Um, and uh, these were all beautifully painted background plates, um, which is sort of the stuff that they pan over. But it, it was amazing to see them on the big screen. Um, it's just some really great work. Did you get the name of the, the concept artists? Uh, I don't believe that I did. That was I. Again, you and I were like live blogging like mad during that, so details were lost in the. Yeah. I, we could go back and probably find that on the, uh, the tape that Nickelodeon put up. But um, needless to say, they were quite beautiful. They were quite beautiful, and so we went uh, from an exterior of like this party in the Southern Water Tribe, sort of like the gates to a wall, I guess, and then into an interior dining hall. It's vaguely hogs Hogwarts-ish, but uh, that's only to give you a general idea. I'm not saying it's a rip-up. <laughs> 
Um, and then we went outside to some ominous uh, rock formations that are sort of like blue and green and sort of reminded me of the Fortress of Solitude uh, from Superman, I guess. For some uh, reason, it kind of reminded me of old school Disney art, too. I don't know if I haven't looked at enough Korra concept art to really say, oh, well, this is what it all looks like. But especially the outside winter stuff, I got this... This is so dumb. Um, like yeah. that, when, You know when Aladdin gets sent to Antarctica in the Magic Tower? Yes. Yeah. It reminds yes. me of that. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess it could be that. It sort of reminds me of like something you'd see in like the illustration of like a Lord of the Rings book. Mm. It looks massive again, which is interesting in comparison to book one, which was all Metropolis. This is definitely desolate. Or even sort of storm. Even Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, I I don't, you know, we talked before that that show was very much a journey, a hero's journey uh, on a literal sense that spanned the globe uh, in contrast to Korra, which is all about being in the city. But, like, the scope of these scenic views feels bigger. The outside, the Arctic lands of uh, the Water Tribe feel bigger. And um, some of the other scenes that we'll talk about, just the scope feels amped up here. And I think the guys have more to play with, obviously, um, because we saw how expansive Republic City was. But uh, I'm excited for her to get out of town and and really open up the world. Yes. Um, Anyway, somewhere uh, also in the Southern Water Tribe, they had some ice walls with some roots coming out of it. Um, not in the Southern Water Tribe like area, but South. I don't know. It's snowy. It's glowing <laughs> blue. We're gonna figure out what it is. Hopefully, lots of mystery. No. Yeah, it looks like uh, maybe Naga and somebody are trudging through the snow in one of them. So that that'll be interesting to see where that journey leads us. Uh, then we get to see a Southern Air Temple that looks. It's not populated, but it doesn't look destroyed, which is nice. But in 70 years, they've managed to rebuild some of the air temple area um, and send sort of some more exterior air temple stuff. And then finally, they um, switch to a sort of uh, dreamlike landscape where there are these giant clover looking trees and they reveal that it is the spirit world because we are going into the spirit world. And in this field with these giant uh, clover like trees, there are two silhouettes. One tall one and one tiny one. Who could they be? Haven't the foggiest. <laughs> um, I was really that. Obviously, my interest was piqued by those looks at the spirit world because it's it's. We haven't spent too much time there, but I know when Ang went there, it was very monochromatic, if I recall. Uh, maybe I'm forgetting a moment in Airbender where like it's as lush and colorful and. Uh, hyper-saturated, I would say, as the images that we saw there, which really intrigues me because, again, they're opening up the world in in a fascinating way. It almost reminded me of um, how stylized something like Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland was, not in a, uh, a way that's like CG and offensive to me, uh, like that film yeah, right. ends up being, but um, something that's just really doesn't... The, reality is not in place there, which is uh, great to see in a, in a... especially in a show where, uh, in contrast to Airbender, you know, this is about technology, this is about... and I feel like all season it's been reality, reality, reality there, and, and closer to something that we know of as modern day, as opposed to the fantastical landscapes of Airbender, and this is really interesting to see in contrast to that. Yeah, none of the stuff we saw looked like steampunky 
at a, in the slightest, which was right. very interesting. And the other thing I thought was interesting is the spirit world appears very lush. Like, things seem to be fine in the spirit world. And so, from a mild speculation point, that makes me curious because I would think that things are not fine in the spirit world. But maybe it's just not, like, all pervasive or what right. have you. Although the Southern Air Temple had quite a bit of uh, vegetation growing out of it, I believe, and like yellow-orange skies, very Chinese-inspired art kind of look, which I thought was interesting. And I wonder, you know, I, I think based on this concept art, my imagination started running wild about like what the course of this adventure is going to be. Um, knowing that it takes six months uh, after book one, how... Sh- Korra and the gang, well, maybe the gang, will go to the Southern Water Tribe, how they'll end up at the Southern Air Temple, and when, how does that interact? And I wonder if um, the Air Temple ends up being some sort of connection for her because of how lush and intact it is, and also how connected the air-bending world is to the spirit world. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it, it seemed interesting to me that we saw so much glowing ice, because like you were saying, mm. the air-bending world is closer to the spirit world. We've been taught but maybe that we've just been taught that through an airbending avatar like once you get in the avatar state maybe it's yeah (laughs) maybe it has a little bit more to do with your personal roots because we definitely get to see a lot of Korra's family which I guess I didn't mean to segue but let's segue oh my god you just made it that well the one thing that I wanted to say before that is we also saw a glimpse and I think you touched about upon this when we uh, talked about the concept art is the, the the glowing cavern that she finds at some point that very much looks like the iceberg that Aang was trapped in. Uh, oh, yes. with, like, greenish tones. And, yeah, you were saying that it kind of looks like the Fortress of Solitude. Um, and as she gets in there, it's all icy and jagged and glowing. There's tree roots growing out of the walls, and it's... I'm really hoping that's her. You know that cave in Empire Strikes Back in Star Wars where Luke goes down and he sees Darth Vader and he cuts the head off and, like, the mask blows off and it's him yeah that's like the confrontation caves so we're still doing (laughs) star wars i was saying that you know it's like we're doing superman where she has to go and find her little spirit structure where she could you know figure out who her real father is where the spirit world equivalent or for all i know that's where the spirit world is breaking through and as we'll get to some of the animatics we saw i i personally think the spirit world is going to start leaking and maybe this is one of the holes. I believe that we said something like that might happen. Once uh, again, not to take any <laughs> any sort of credit for it. We're only, we only extrapolate based on all of our conversations together and with uh, you guys, the listeners. So there's no tolges here. That's correct. Um, but take it away with with the characters and the family and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, we started off by seeing the character designs of the gang, or oh, I can't call them that anymore, the Team Avatar, um, who are uh, sort of, they've all been wintered up. Uh, Korra has some armbands, Mako has like a longer coat, still has the scarf, everything is fine. Uh, Bolin has like a parka, sort of with a fur collar, and Asami uh, has a sort of business attire suit and an Amelia Earhart-ish flight suit. Yeah, Asami's really gone corporate this season now that she's taken over Future Industries. Yeah, has uh, she fully taken over Future Industries? Or I think that's just... what they suggested, that now that um, Sato is out of the picture, that Asami steps up and she's running things. Because they've been apparently very devastated by him being incarcerated and being part of the, the rebellion. Um 
the Equalists. So he's in jail, and they're coming under hard times. And Asami steps up and takes over the family business. I bet Cabbage Corp is doing great. <laughs> but yeah, now she's making planes, so she's in Amelia Earhart gear. All right, and, and then we got uh, yeah, Tenzin with a cloak, same not, old kind of cloak. Yeah, not a not a huge reveal, but you know, it'll be nice to see. Then we got to see uh, Boomy, who got fat. Or maybe he was always fat. We didn't really get to see. Hard to tell from the much. low angle that we saw him when he was dancing on the ship. Yes, but he has earmuffs and a long red sort of Fire Nation ish coat. Pink earmuffs, has- nonetheless, Pink which means earmuffs. he's crazy. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to more, more Boomy because uh, then we got to see some expression seats for Boomy of him making crazy faces, which means that we're going to get crazy Boomy faces, and who doesn't want that? Then we got to see Kaya, which was sweet because we were wondering what happened to her. She is uh, Aang's first daughter, I believe, yeah. um, who is a waterbender. And we are told she is a hippie <laughs> and uh, so much so that her favorite song would be Secret Tunnel. Which I thought was a most excellent detail. I am a huge Secret Tunnel fan. And I was disappointed. Actually, one of my big disappointments that I've realized a few weeks after the finale of The Legend of Korra is that, uh, book one, is that there were no real songs. There weren't a whole lot of, like, we got some great uh, Secret Tunnel, um, uh, Leaf in the Wind, uh, these kind of songs that are just they're part of the world, part of the culture, and I didn't get Wait, as Leaf much Leaf from the Vine. Oh, Leaf from the Vine, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> Leaf in the Wind might be the, is that the second episode of the... Uh, of the series yeah of the core yeah yes. oh my god my brain <laughs> um but yeah we, we come on where's the ragtime jazz that i'm looking forward to oh well oh you just want bolin to start a band instead of oh my god bolin should fans. be in a rock band <laughs> let's call him up he Maybe might get you on we get you on book three <laughs> then we got to see tan rock um sort of rocking a parka that is Cora's Cora's father uh hood up and hood down because uh, he's like that, and we got to see a whole bunch of his expressions, which I think means he's going to be a character that we learn a little bit more about. He is rocking a goatee, which I don't think he always was. I think when we saw him in the beginning uh, of the book one, when Korra was little, he didn't have a goatee, but at the end he did have a goatee. So I'm glad that's sticking around. And then Senna, um, Tanrock's wife and Korra's mother, uh, we get to see her in her long parka and then in her sort of, I guess, walking around clothes. I guess. I, Who knows? I would say that. Casual I'm descri- wear. I'm describing these things horribly, but they'll be beautiful when you see them. <laughs> um, then we get to see a flashback to Tonrock in his 20s, and he is shirtless, and he has long hair, and now, his goatee that I was speaking about earlier. Did they explain why we saw that? No, not at all. Interesting. Everyone kind of cheered because there was a big shirtless ripped Tonrock on screen. They are very big people, Cora's family. Um, I guess no one has last names. I was, I was being like the blank family, <laughs> but they're they don't really have last names. I'm just having no. this revelation. This is really weird. It's just like of the water tribe. Yeah, I guess you're right. But they're all ripped, and uh, according to Brian and Mike, it's because Cora was based on uh, Gina Carano, so they had to extrapolate based on MMA fighter Gina Carano and make all of her family muscle laden. Which actually looks like it's going to turn out pretty sweet. Yeah. Then we get to meet uh, Tanrock's brother, who I'm going to screw up this name, guys. Unalak? That's right. All right. I was trying to figure out how to spell that. Is it a U-N-A or a U-N-I? Hmm? I think it's U-N-A-L-A-Q. Oh, no. Not like Tarlock. Not, not like Tarlock, but like Tone 
rock. We are oh. so screwed for season two. Yeah, yeah, guys, it's gonna be bad. <laughs> anyway, he is the uncle of Korra, the brother of Tonrock, and the chief of the Northern Water Tribe. And um, I guess he's going to be Korra's spiritual mentor. Is in, that what they said? The next season. That's, That's fascinating. But I, I'm I'm curious about that because, like, why is Korra so out of the loop with the spirit world, and then her family seems to have absolutely no problem with that? Well, maybe it's just the spiritual people. Korra has been very pig-headed, and uh, as we saw a little bit in the uh, animatic footage, which we're getting to, uh, she isn't responsible yet. Uh, a lot of what we saw in book one was Korra, you know, becoming what the Avatar needed to be, and now I think she still needs to become an adult. Hmm. Or at least realize her actions have consequences, or I don't know what I'm talking about. This is all speculation. Well, I think she's a very independent person, and including her family more, obviously, I think is part of her spiritual journey. End of story. You need as a, If you're going to uh, tackle issues for 16, 17-year-olds... Dealing with your family is probably one of the biggest things, biggest problems you will have in your lifetime. Definitely. Um, so it makes perfect sense that Cora has to go back home. You know, it's it's almost like uh, it's almost like anti college. Cora went off to college at the age of sixteen, and now she's going home and living at home, which is the worst fate for some people. And I think Cora will have a big problem with that. She doesn't want to live under anyone's roof, especially when she's trying to discover herself. Yeah, especially when her boyfriend is... Oh, no. Well, maybe a potential boyfriend. We'll see about that. I feel I feel like they all are going to come... The whole Avatar gang is going to make their way to the Southern Water Tribe at some point. Why else would they have coats? Tell yes, me that. Yes, that's, po- that's a good point. <laughs> and we do see Bolun down there in the automatic, so chances are they, they all get down there. There you go. Or, you know, things are cold somewhere. We don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's winter in Republic City. Yes, that's we could true. All, we it's, could all be duped. It's only been six months. Anyway, so then we get to see Korra's twin cousins reveal. Uh, they did not get names, but there's one male and one female. We got to see them in their various garbs and some crazy faces of the female, one of which where she's yelling and super mad that I've seen some people latch onto on the Tumblr from leaked pictures. Seems interesting. It's going to be a go-to gif in the future. Yes. So then we get to see another character who I think is called Varric. Something like that. Something like that. I'm not exactly sure. I couldn't really catch it. There's cheering and people. He's like a captain of industry, Howard Hughes sort of person. And he's a a Southern Water Tribe descendant. And he has a purple cloak. And we told he would have some sort of rapport with Boleyn. More comedy, it sounds like. It does does sound like comedy. My guess is that the guy who's going to voice his character is a well-known actor. Don't you get that impression that we're going to see some more, like, J.K. Simmons-level people in this season, maybe? They sounded like we would know who's joining the cast. That's true, but it could go the way of actor, or it could go the way of famous voice actor. Right, it's probably like Mark Hamill. Oh, that would be fantastic, Mark Hamill doing a slight variation on the Joker, but funny. Yeah, Mark Mark Hamill could also do something a little more throaty for this guy, because he looks like he's magician quality hucksterism which is going to be great for Bolin especially and then we finish off with some spirits which I guess one uh, the one that I took the most notes on sort of looked like an owl face with a human rib cage around it and was standing on two legs and had a tail 
But I think it was all the same spirit. It had like glowing yellow eyes and a the black one shadow body. Yeah, they showed us uh, some character sketches of a spirit. Right, it had kind of like spiny things happening there. I don't yeah, know. coming out of its back. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, but it, I'm not sure if it keeps it the same shape all the time or if it just keeps vaguely the same shape. It was hard to sell because we only saw animatics. Well, it's interesting which, to have something that's so fluid like that because I feel like the spirits we saw in Airbender were um, more copies of, of things that we would see in the real world. For instance, you know, well, dragons maybe not, but um, dragon seems more tangible and uh, concrete in its design than something that can morph and change and be like... It, it reminds me of... Um, the spirits that we saw on display in the art and in the animatics, they remind me of the Miyazaki spirits in Princess Mononoke, especially the one that opens up the film where it's like all these blobules and it's six legs and it's storming through. Um, it, it's it's very uh, Miyazaki to me. Definitely. And then I guess it also made me think about how when Ko, the whole reason that... Uh, Aang went to go see Ko is to figure out that sometimes a spirit can give up being a spirit and take a physical form. It didn't occur to me that the spirits could exist outside the spirit world in any sort of form. So them revealing that was a very kind of, it was a new direction. And then what do you think that hints at? What does that hint at? That they can take, they can take forms, whatever form they want outside. Is that basically the explanation? I don't know. See, it depends if each... I mean, they get to choose some sort of physical body. So, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, moon spirit became the fish and what have you. The dra- I think... Oh, see, then are the dragons that begat firebending just spirits too? <laughs> there are all sorts of questions I'm going to have. Well, I think that's end. what this season's going to be all about. What What does the spirits relate, or spirit world's relationship to our world really mean? Where did it come from? How did it start? Why is there an avatar? How did that begin? Um, there's a lot of open questions. The world is so wide open. Even though we have so much mythology to back it up, we have no answers because it's an open playing field. We've just never gone here. And um, for being so realistic, and I say that in quotes... Um, the world of Korra, this tangible city world, I think things are going to get really crazy in book two in the sp- with the spirit's inclusion. I think it's um, interesting that they got renewed for two additional books because I don't know if anybody planned that and maybe they were just really sly, but it was interesting going through the first book knowing that as they got to the end of the first book of making the first book that they got a second book Hmm. so that they were aware that you know they were going to be able to get deeper into these questions and so now i'm wondering how big they could blow it open um you know are they going to open it up for three more books worth of questions or is book two going to be very centered on figuring out what the spirit world is i feel like by opening it up to the spirit world i've often thought okay how are we going to top amon possibly the scariest thing that you could come up with in this new world um how to have a villain to rival that i mean it's got to be someone with a power equal to the avatars i think and well see i'm not is it possible that we have a villainless season oh well i think we could have a villainless season in that 
and if you know, I feel like my theories are starting to develop because of this. Some of the concept art we've seen, the animatics that we're about to talk about, the spirits escaping, the spirit that she's interacting with for the first time. Um, is there some sort of leak? Is there some sort of crossover? I think before the podcast, I referenced um, Super Mario Brothers, the movie, to you, and how <laughs> the um, how Koopa oh wants the worlds to collide in that film, and I wonder if there's something that's working behind the scenes. And we kind of touched upon this in book one in theorizing about how Amon got his powers and what is going on there. Um, is someone pushing buttons behind the scenes? You know, book one might not be over. There might be threads from book one that we are only going to start seeing Well, in there's book a gap two. in the Amon tom- timeline that it fascinates me that I wouldn't mind having filled in. But you're right. And a lot of people, go yeah. there. But because, but because so many people were still left asking themselves, like, how did he get this power? And one of our theories was that maybe a spirit granted it to him. But as it turns out, it's just evolutionary process. Or is it? I wonder if, this, if there is a bigger threat lurking in the spirit world that we may not even see in book two, but will only reveal itself. And maybe these book two, three, four are a trilogy season, like seasons kind of like Avatar The Last Airbender that will culminate in one final big battle. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd just be interesting to see what these guys do embracing the fact that there's not a end goal. There's not mm-hmm. a you have to defeat the Fire Lord or there has to be a showdown with uh, Amon, but rather like each thing is going to be like Korra needs to face her family. She needs to get right with being the Avatar. She needs to, you know, figure out what's wrong with the spirit world. There doesn't have to be someone pulling the strings necessarily. But do you think that it can be dramatic in that way? How how would you keep the drama going with someone as powerful as her? I think it, when you could see them do episodes, you know, about fear, like a voice in the night, or about relationships, like the spirit of competition, it shows that these characters are capable of handling theme episodes. Hmm. I'm not sure if it would work outside of a larger plot, but like two worlds being out of balance might be plot enough without there necessarily being a big bad. Like, can they do a, right. you know, I hate to say a Fern Gully because Fern Gully did have a big bad, well, but it's really, kind of like Lost, be, yeah, or a little bit like Lost. But it can you know can you have a bigger idea nestled in something without having to have you know a big bad versus at the end of it? Anyway, we should probably get to the animatics, which yes. are out officially now, so you could see them. So I'm going to recap them really fast. We get to see Bolin educating the new fire ferrets, and they don't do so well. And which is interesting knocked- that that. He's been kind of abandoned and left with that in his hands. Yeah, it seems like uh, Mako... Well, Mako's become a policeman, Mm. and uh, it seems like, you know, Mako went to go figure out his rage issues, maybe, or (laughs) do something to Mako doesn't have rage issues. Uh, Yeah, fair enough. Maybe I just attribute that as a firebender (laughs) trait unfairly to him. Not Uh, His his emotional side. Anyway, but yes, it does seem weird that he was left with only that... Um, and apparently the fire ferrets aren't good. Uh, Mako is on a motorcycle chase. Great and he, scene. Yeah, does a flip over the car and water fire bends down on it and uh, says he's the police. Or he says, looks like you had some car trouble. Yes. Good thing the police are here. Dis. Oh, oh, oh. I, I actually think it's really interesting that after a season, you know, 12 episodes, I f- there were a couple chase scenes in book one through the city. And yet I was still kind of captivated by that footage. Like, they're that really cool loop-de-loop in the air with the motorcycle and firing, firebending, and it was just really cool. 
And I also like that uh, there's we saw a lot of the metal bending cops, but I like that we're going to probably see some more of some non-metal bending cops because I always like diversity in Republic City, like we all right. should after what happened. <laughs> book one and Mako smiled, so we're on a we're on the fast track here. This is yeah. good. We're making progress. Yeah. Everything's going well. <laughs> Cut to a landing biplane, and Sami gets out, and she's like, "These planes are ready to ship." And the business manager's like, "Ah, we're gonna go broke." And Sami's like, "I know someone in this other water tribe." And then the guy's like, oh, she's like, don't worry. And she smiles, but she's walking. Why was that a relevant thing for her to say? Like that she knows someone in the Southern Water Tribe. Probably because she's going to travel down there. Do they need planes? Do they have a lot of money there? She's going to, that, they're going to turn it around, whoever's down there. (laughs) Awesome. Cora's going to put her Avatar endorsement deal on the Future Industries products. Maybe it's Iroh. Fly up the shells. Maybe she's, she's, uh in a relationship with Iroh, and she's going to go visit him. Well, see, but as she's walking out of that scene, she looks down all sad, so I don't think she uh, really wants to go to the Southern Water Tribe. She has to hang out with Makora. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, and then uh, cut to the air scooter race on Air Temple so Island. So fun. And uh, Tenzin uh, lecturing Korra. And then, uh, well, I guess we could talk a little bit about that because that's just awesome. Did you know? Wh- did you notice which girl he she was beating? I thought it was, was Janora. I it's hard for me to tell Icky and Janora apart sometimes. Um, but she whoops them all with Avatar State and a good scolding from Tenzin. Uh, the Avatar State is not to be used as a booster rocket. I just thought that was hilarious. And then Boomy screams and gets excited. So much Boomy in this season. Yes. Now, where do you I, think they were? I couldn't really tell from the animatics. Were they at... I thought it was the Air Temple. It, it was Air Temple Island because yeah. they start with a, you know, Air Bison coming down. They definitely go around the doors uh, from the Leaf in the Wind. So it looked. It may have looked a little snowy there, too. I wonder if uh, even Republic City will get a makeover, a winter makeover for this oh, season. Oh, I certainly hope so. I that wish that meant beautiful. that we were getting this book winter time, but I don't. I know that's not true. Well, it's, I mean, it's January. I hope we get it closer Definitely. than like I, I would like it next summer. That would be nice. But if it's next winter, I could do that too. Winter's not ruled out. I want I want time to animate winter twenty thirteen, but January February. I'm not. I'm, I can't wait till December twenty thirteen. Anyway, cut to a water tribe. I thought it was the Southern Water Tribe, but now I'm not so sure. It's just a water tribe like landscape. Naga's barking. And the spirit comes and pins Korra up against a wall. We fade. We fade back up. Korra gets in the avatar state, chased after the spirit. Spirit goes underground, pops up. Korra's shooting stuff at him. Right. You and I were debating, is she actually, is the spirit attacking her or is it just inspecting her? And she kind of reacts violently towards it. Yeah, I think that fade is very important that there is a cut there because it, you know something's going to happen. Because it does, it's not really destroying off. things when it burrows into the land and pops up in town. Right. It doesn't look like it's. It looks more like it's running from the avatar. And who right. wouldn't when you're up on an air column and shooting crazy stuff at it? I'm hoping but this I, becomes her like pet spirit. I called it the Alien Three moment in my notes. <laughs> uh, anybody likes alien 3 why why are you calling that just for the uninitiated um alien in alien 3 ripley is pinned up against the wall by an alien Uh. that gets really close to her face much like uh was done in this animatic the spirit does uh, but won't harm her because ripley is carrying spoiler 
the queen alien. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. This could. This doesn't have to be a violent attack. I th- this just, does seem it, like the first encounter, though, and speaks volumes of where we're going with the season. Yeah, she says like, "What's that?" And obviously hasn't seen his spirit before. But I think it might. Yeah, it might just be. I'm we thro- don't. We don't know if it's good or bad yet. It just looks really like it's bad. I'm throwing it out here. Season book two starts with Cora in Republic City hanging out, Air Temple. You know what? Out, and then. She gets a call from her family. She's got to go home to the Southern Water Temple. There's been some spirit activity they need her to take care of. She's scared, though, because she doesn't know the spirits that well. But Tenzin's like, you got to learn the spiritual world. You're an avatar now, the avatar state and such. So go down there and learn it and, and interact. So she goes down, and she finds this cavern. It's glowing, and it's like, oh, no, the spirit world is leaking out into the real world. i got to put a stop to it. And she meets the spirit for the first time, and, like, wackadoonish. She goes inside, and she's like, it's Alice and it's Alice in Wonderland. She falls down the, the hole. Boom. Wow. That... <laughs> okay. Oh, and then Bolin says something funny. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Oh, no. Or, like, gets chased by, or rides a giant Pabu. I, is there some way that Pabu and Appa can meet in the spirit world? Oh, my God. Stop, stop teasing me with uh, those kind of promises. Um, yeah, I, I hope there's a return of Appa, because I... We don't you think we'll have to see Aang? If we go to the spirit, we'll, we'll see Aang. Well, I think now that we have the Avatar state, we see Aang because Korra uh, doesn't like to listen to Tenzin. I imagine if you had, you know, hundreds of people in your head with all the answers, wouldn't you ask them a lot? <laughs> That's true. I guess it's like her Obi-Wan. It's the spirit guiding her. See? Definitely. That cave is that cave from Empire Strikes Back. I knew it. Um, Dave, anything else questions that were raised for you just to wrap up here is there is there a lingering thought something you're excited to see anything in response to uh the panel i'm excited to see everything that i saw finished um it was just amazing and it had so much potential and i want to see it move and i want to see these characters emote um i i'm not gonna call anything this far out and uh, <laughs> you're not you're not a, a fool like me uh, that, that's right. I I can't disagree with anything that you said, but I have no idea, and I also think that it would be interesting to start uh, with Korra more, more in the Southern Water Tribe to begin with, and maybe she's just visiting Air Temple Island and racing with the kids, awesome. or maybe that's like a little flashback. But I think that uh, we're going to see a lot of family stuff, and I would like to see the family be part of the reason that she gets drawn down there. Especially for for me, I, I'm with you. Like, I want to see the family dynamic, and I want to see it rub her the wrong way. Obviously, what made book one, of course, so special to me is not only it had lots of action, it had lots of mythology, it had us talking about lots of questions and thinking up crazy possibilities for what might be going on. But at the end of the day, I loved watching the characters interact, and I loved seeing, and I, I can't wait to see how Korra and Mako's relationship evolves. I know a lot of you hate that, um, but I'm excited by the prospect. I'm excited to see what Bolin does now that he's kind of on the outside running fire ferrets. And yeah, I'm, I can't wait to see the relationships get pushed to the next level in this show that's taking them so maturely in the first place. So yeah, book yeah. two. Oh, I, do, I, I do have one battle cry. Oh. Tano's not coming back. Yeah, guys. I, a lot of people were commenting on my piece for Hollywood.com. Is Tano, where is Tano? Is he coming back? Tano is not coming back? What is wrong with you? <laughs> I would be surprised if Tano came back. 
I think he served his purpose, but I'm sure he's living a very happy life in Republic City. He's probably been granted his uh, powers back, his bending back. He's probably very grateful to Korra now. They're chums. They'll yeah. see each other at the 10-year reunion, the pro-bending reunion tour. He, he does eyeliner <laughs> and nail polish now. <laughs> he's in. He's in. He's the emo singer of Bolin's band. Bolin plays bass. Um, anywho, I think that about wraps things up. Book two, we have no idea when it's coming. Unspecified date in 2013. But I think the panel rocked our socks off, and we're extremely excited. Dave, who are you, and where can we find you? Hey, I'm Dave with The Seven. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash DA7E on the Operation Kino Show podcast with Mr. Patches discussing movies Ooh. and pop culture at opketo.com and at latino-review.com. Mostly writing about Marvel these days, but doing it well. Another great panel at Comic-Con. I wouldn't know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, ooh, dis. And I'm Matt Patches. You can find me on Hollywood.com. I'm the movies editor there, writing every day. And, of course, co-hosting Operation Kino on, uh, with, with Dave here, which you can find on iTunes. And I'm on Tumblr, MattPatches.com. So until next time, which we don't know when it is, but hopefully it'll be soon, uh, we will talk to you later. 